lots of dark shadows where death is a way of life and where there is always terror at Collinwood. to hide. This podcast is fun, but there are spoilers inside. Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. I am your hostess, Danielle, aka Penny Dreadful, and I am thrilled to get to today's show because you're going to be hearing from the illustrious Ricardo Delgado as we're going to be talking about House of Dark Shadows, Sombras Tenebrosas, and many other things, including the art of Dracula of Transylvania, so stay tuned for that. But there are a couple of orders of business here that I'd like to uh, attend to first before we get to that. First, congratulations to the one and only Catherine Lee Scott on receiving the Life Career Award at the 50th Annual Saturn Awards. The Saturn Awards organization is the official awards group of the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, so a very prestigious award to be certain. So many congratulations to Catherine on that well-deserved award. Also, I'd like to issue a correction about something I said in episode 40. For that episode, I pulled some information from an online article, uh, and I should have double-checked that because it wasn't entirely accurate. It was almost accurate, but not quite there. Uh, It stated, uh, and I repeated on the podcast, that a theremin was used in the Dark Shadows theme. Uh, That's actually incorrect. Uh, However, as my charming and brilliant guest Ben Alba pointed out, Colbert was going for a theremin sound. So it makes sense that one would think that it was a theremin, and I don't think Colbert was overly vocal about disabusing people of that notion, because that's kind of what he was going for. Anyway, according to uh, the interview with Robert Colbert in the booklet included with discs five and six of the complete Dark Shadows soundtrack music collection, and this is a quote, many people assume that the instrument playing the Dark Shadows theme was a theremin, but it wasn't. The opening theme was neither a theremin nor an Ond Martineau. It was a Yamaha synthesizer with a string on it that made a theremin-like sound. We couldn't find an Ond Martineau player or a theremin player in New York, so we used that. And it was played by a very famous pianist named Dick Hyman. What you're hearing in the theme is, melodically, a Yamaha on top, an alto flute on the bottom, then a bass, vibes, and harp playing atonal accompaniment five players in all. That was a quote from Colbert. This is me now. Um, I actually knew that Colbert had an altered synthesizer that he used to play the Dark Shadows theme, but I misremembered this. In my memory, I remembered it as Colbert using the synthesizer to play the theme for Dan Curtis the first time he presented it to him, but that's completely incorrect. He actually whistled the theme for Dan Curtis. He came in and was shaking his head around and whistling it, and that's uh, on an interview on one of the DVDs, and you can find it on YouTube as well, an interview with Robert Colbert. Uh, So he actually whistled the theme to Dan Curtis to present it to him. In my memory, I remembered it as this altered synthesizer because I had read this interview before and it just, you know, I am over 700 years old, darlings. I do forget things. Uh, But uh, anyway, thank you to Bishop John 65 on YouTube for calling this to my attention. Also, from the same interview, uh, just a side note, Colbert also adds that almost all of the Dark Shadows music cues were recorded in England 
It was money, pure and simple. The theme itself, however, was recorded in New York. So there you go. And uh, lastly, another kind of, I guess, uh, trivia bit here. Uh, in this episode, I uh, kind of avoided mentioning the official release date for House of Dark Shadows, which is listed as October 28th, 1970. However, there were several screenings prior to that, going back to August of 1970, uh, per the Collinsport Historical Society. Uh, film archivist and Dark Shadows fan Darren Gross found an even earlier showing of House of Dark Shadows. He sent me a scan of a newspaper ad for a preview of the film that took place August 24th, 1970 at the DeMille Theater in Manhattan. He says the October 28th date often referenced is when House of Dark Shadows opened in New York City and Los Angeles. So, and there were several other screenings prior to that October date uh, in August and September for House of Dark Shadows. Uh, so the official date is listed as October 28th on most sources, but um, that's like, I guess those were the big openings in New York and Los Angeles, but with several screenings prior to that date. And in the show notes, I'll put a link to the Collinsport Historical Society article so you can read that. Anyway, uh, I, that wraps that up. So, let's get on with the show. House of Dark Shadows. Nobody lives there. Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. Tis I, Danielle, the despicable doppelganger of Penny Dreadful. And today I am thrilled and honored to be joined by my guest, Ricardo Delgado, who is one of Hollywood's leading conceptual designers, a film and comic book artist who has worked on films including The Incredibles, Men in Black, and Apollo 13. He is the author and creator of the comic book series Age of Reptiles, which won an Eisner Award for talent deserving of wide recognition in 1997. Ricardo was an illustrator in Herman, Herman F. Zimmerman's design team on the pilot and first season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, contributing toward the design of the exteriors and interiors of the station itself, and storyboarding the series opening titles under Dan Curry's direction. Recently, he wrote and illustrated the lavish Dracula of Transylvania, a fresh, bold retelling of the classic Stoker dark fairy tale with the pulse-pounding pace of the modern thriller. And coming soon from Clover Press is the art of Dracula of Transylvania, which is really exciting. I was just looking at an interview with Ricardo about that yesterday, and uh, we're going to talk about that. So welcome to the show, Ricardo. Thank you. It's uh, a pleasure to be here. And certainly I'm here not just as a uh, as the person being interviewed, but as someone who uh, enjoys all things Dark Shadows related, Halloween related, vampire related. So it, I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. Well, I, I heard you recently on uh, Derek M. Cook's wonderful Monster Kid radio, uh, and I appreciate you guys mentioning uh, Terror at Collinwood. But of course, we we had also been talking for, for quite a bit before that, and you sent me, you were kind enough a few months back to send me this amazing book, Dracula of Transylvania. Um, and I was just uh, telling Ricardo before we started the show today that um, I was at a convention this past weekend doing an appearance as Penny and uh, I walked in the vendor room and uh, there it was this book sitting on a table prominently displayed and I said hey I have that I'm going to interview Ricardo uh, next week on my podcast and the uh, gentleman at the table was just raving about the book and raving about you but it is a very striking book uh, a reimagining of uh, of the classic Stoker tale uh, infusing it with lots of different classic vampire references and lore and things like that and beautifully illustrated as well. So Ricardo, tell us a little bit about 
Dracula of Transylvania and the art of Dracula of Transylvania coming up soon? Well, uh, Dracula of Transylvania is essentially uh, um, a dream project come true. And it's essentially um, my take on the Stoker story, the classic Stoker work of literature. You know, uh, as I was telling uh, Derek uh, um, uh, during his interview with me a few weeks back, that um you know in terms of the universal monsters you know the um the frankenstein monster was kind of uh you know victim of circumstance or circumstances as we should say he was mm -hmm. kind of you know put together and and larry talbot you know is probably the most sympathetic you know uh character uh the wolfman is just kind of well you know um hey i got bitten by this dog that called bella and so suddenly <laughs> i'm uh I'm cursed, but Dracula, Dracula was the one universal monster that uh, said, hey, I actually want to be the bad guy. I actually don't mind breaking into your house at night and drinking your blood and, you know, causing havoc. And um, so for me, it was kind of a dream project to be able to sort of take all of my, all of the Draculas I loved as a kid, you know, and because I loved I love Bella Lugosi, Christopher Lee, you know, uh, John Carradine, um, and uh, just kind of assemble them into a version of the character that I, I grew up loving and creating this sort of very malevolent, no prisoners taken, Dracula, kind of based a... a uh, as well on Tomb of Dracula, the the Marvel oh, comic yes. book that I yeah. I adored that comic mm -hmm. book as a kid because he again that was like the no fooling around Dracula, yeah. And um, I also wanted to create a supernatural world around um, the Count and expand that uh, that world and you know throughout some of the stories that I loved as a kid I he was referred to as the King of the Vampires and so in in this one in this story very much so there's a you know uh, a bunch of subjects and rebels around him in vampiric society and so um i just kind of uh i rewrote the story i paced it a lot more quickly um and uh it was truly a privilege i feel like my stuff just kind of feels it kind of um, reads more like my pitch was uh, The Exorcist meets Lord of the Rings, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And um, and as a designer, I was able to sort of take my design acumen and create concept art based on the characters and locations, you know, in the story and publish them um, through Clover Press in the book that you hold right now now the thing that's kind of interesting is that uh, i generated over 100 pieces of art for the novel but clover could only fit about 20 images in there and so um the book did very well and you know i'm very uh, thankful and blessed uh, to have had that happen and uh clover came back and said hey you know this project has, as we say in the publishing business, legs. Um, so why don't we do an art of Dracula and cram all of your artwork into one book? 
And I said, that's terrific. Uh, I And I said, well, the thing that I have to kind of sort of add to that is the idea that um, when I was growing up, I had kind of two stages of my fandom. It's like pre-1977, then 1977 forward. You know, my adoration of the Universal Monsters as a little boy and, you know, and then in 1977, Star Wars came out and I was really sort of taken by that as well. And so if if I could combine those and take the artwork that I generated um, that was not published and then annotate it and sort of write about my experiences as a little kid with the Don Post, you know, monster masks from... Yeah. Uh, famous monsters of filmland and how much i love famous monsters of filmland and you know what each of those pieces meant to me you know um and then add those annotations to the images so they don't just sit there alone because otherwise you know it's cool to look at artwork but to to sort of read about the roots of the artwork is what i loved about the those art of star wars books as as a little kid so I kind of combined those, and and here we are. This thing um, is about to be published. Uh, there's a Kickstarter campaign that's uh, imminent as we're being um, uh, recorded, and I'm really excited about it. Wonderful. Now, this this episode is probably going to be going up um, probably in the first uh, couple of weeks of November. Will the Kickstarter be live by then? I think it'll be live at that point. Absolutely. Okay. So okay. Um, I'll post a link in the show notes. You're very for sure. kind. Thank you. And you mm-hmm. guys can you can all track me down on Facebook and Instagram um, and um, I'll have stuff there as well. But uh, most certainly a privilege to have my stuff posted on um on your stuff, Penny, as well. Oh my goodness, it's, a, it's certainly a, an honor. Now, you mentioned before we re- started recording, just uh, real quick here, you mentioned also uh, writing another vampire story set in Costa Rica, I believe. Yes, it's it's a it's a folk tale. It's a very um, it's a very personal story uh, set on uh, uh, in my parents' hometown in Costa Rica in 1948 during a time of revolution and um, in in talking with my parents, you know, about their experiences during that time, during their childhood, during the revolution, it was just kind of a transition from, you know, an idyllic childhood to started to starting to be sort of aware of, you know, the political differences that, you know, adults could have and, so I thought it was just natural for a story to be told like that, but um, I'm adding a vampire to that story. So, oh, great. Yes. Oh, great. No, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it's also great to um, hear my parents talk about their childhood, stuff that, you know, they think is is uh, not important, but turns out that it actually is really important and interesting and fascinating. Everyone in America has uh, a hometown that is not their hometown. It's the hometown of, of their ancestors, you know, and that's a very unique kind of uh, American thing that can, um, that can be expressed over and over and over again. And um, I'm pretty much done with it that I need to sort of uh, sit down and, uh, and design it. But it's really cool to look through old photos of, you know, uh, my parents' hometown and, um, yeah, 
all about chasing your passions in life, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You're driven by creativity, which is uh, what I admire that, that in, in those inspirations and taking hold of them and following through on them. Uh, I look forward to seeing when this comes out because uh, it sounds really, really cool. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I get it too. You know, my, my, as I mentioned before we started recording, my family's, they're all from Portugal. They came out mm -hmm. first generation here in America. So uh, it's, I grew up with kind of a, a foot in both worlds in American culture and Portuguese culture. So, um, right. and those legends and, uh, you know, uh, folk tales stories. and things, the stories that just pa passed down from my grandparents and my aunts and uncles that would tell me all about all these things. So just, always stayed in my head and right so my mom would tell me folk tales about yeah. la careta sin bueyes which is mm -hmm. basically the cart without um without uh cows right mm -hmm. or the you know la llorona right oh yeah and so and so those store fables like that are kind of woven into um the culture of latin america yeah um and so i'm sort of taking advantage of it and the vampire in my story is sort of La Llorona or, you know, La Segua or La mm -hmm. Caretza is just kind of a manifestation of change as well, sure. because the the country and, uh, of Costa Rica and the town of Alajuela were really never the same after the events of that revolution. And so to, to sort of add a, a layer of super the supernatural on top of that uh, was really fun and fulfilling. And, you know, my, my parents got a kick out of it, too, as well, too. So. Wonderful. Now, yes. now speaking uh, about uh, supernatural and vampires, where we're going today, we're going to be talking about House of Dark Shadows. But um, I want to start out a little bit with your childhood uh, and how you discovered Sombras Tenebrosas. Well, uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, it's a pretty funny story. Uh, uh, I'm actually very proud of it. In 1972, um, my mom and um, dad decided that my youngest brother um would be born in costa rica we were all um myself and the rest of my siblings were all we were born here in the, in the states but my parents decided hey the last the last kid should be born in costa rica so my dad packed my mom and the rest of us up and shipped us down to to costa rica and uh somewhere between second and third grade i think the summer between second and third grade so i was still very you know very young and um uh we got to costa rica and it we just inundated in this very you know different um place of the world where everything smelled uh beautifully and e exotically and you know and, but in the middle of that one of my uncles um kind of realized that i was a fan of those universal monster movies and He's like, hey, you should watch the show. It's called Sombras Tenebrosas, which, <laughs> of course, is a translation to Dark Shadows. And so we started watching these um, black and white, you know, uh, TV show, this black and white TV show that I instantly, for me, felt very analogous to the Universal Monster films because they were in black and white, right? And um, I think we spent about five or six months down in Costa Rica and... Um, watch dark shadows every day and and it was dubbed in spanish and so um all the the only impression i had of dark shadows even into my adulthood was that everyone that was a vampire 
or everyone that was in a, in the cast of, of Dark Shadows spoke Spanish. <laughs> and so and so it was quite strange to me to um to sort of think about and that's one of the big reasons that my vampires in Dracula of Transylvania speak other languages because I grew up uh hearing Barnabas Collins uh, speak in Spanish the whole cast spoke in Spanish it was it was pretty cool and I was just really struck by um the moodiness of the show um there was sort of this you know, inherent claustrophobia that was in the Universal films as well. And my uh, uncle, his name is Felix, uh, took me to see Brides of Dracula oh, and yeah. um, El Santo Contra las Mujeres Vampiro as well, oh. which is another classic. Mm -hmm. And um, um, so that was kind of really where my focus on vampires really, really began to sort of to grow this sort of being taken back to your parents' home country and, and sort of immersing yourself in the yeah. culture that you came from. And on top of that, you have all these folk tales yeah. that are being told to you. And you have, you know, you're this little kid and you're you're buying famous monsters of film land and you're seeing all these black and white photos that four you put in. You know, yeah. I, I remember once, you know, it was back, we were back home and I was, uh, looking at an issue of famous monsters and I, I think it was um I think it was Christopher Lee he had been staked yeah you know and, uh -huh. yeah and it was very foray and very gory and uh, and uh, my mom just walked by and just whisked that away from me said, <laughs> no, that's not appropriate for right little kids and you know back then you know famous monsters cost like a buck a buck fifty mm -hmm. that was a lot of dough yeah. back then for me mm -hmm. uh, we got we had um we had a dollar allowance every week. And so, you know, it had to be really, don't buy Werewolf by Night, Tomb of Dracula, or Famous Monsters. Right. Well, that's a tough call. That's, that that, is a tough, <laughs> I saved my pennies. Absolutely. And so what I what I would do is I would, uh, if I couldn't afford one or the other, I would take one and put it behind the gold key, for example. Oh, to hide. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, okay, they'll never look here. And, and I would check the magazine rack yeah. uh the next week sometimes be there sometimes it wouldn't you know but mm -hmm. th those are great days mm. those those 70s marvel monsters are i love them so much uh and it's great that they're uh they're bringing them like into the marvel cinematic universe now they did the werewolf by night um tv special which was really i know cool. and it's so it's it, it was cool to see all that and yeah. yet you know uh mm -hmm. as as a fan of those universal classic universal monster movies i you know i i wonder what those universal execs are thinking like <laughs> if only we had something like that that yeah we could put out that <laughs> would you know fans could relate to and in terms of horror what characters do we have in our milieu yeah, exactly that, that that could work that in that yeah. you know black and white uh, mm -hmm. horror um classic horror right um, but the problem is universal will then go but let's put tom cruise in it and yeah. make it into an action movie and and yeah. that that people will really like it's like it's not there re there's a reason people that stuff is iconic and that people love it and it's archetypal it's like you don't have to alter it drastically it's you might tweak a few things here and there but it's our this the recipe for uh you know uh success or or something that people are going to love and tap into is already there as, as is seen by that people are all speaking very 
in a very positive way about Werewolf by Night. You know, it's really funny too. I want to talk about this. Like we're talking about, you know, dark shadows and as part, and one of the things I, I like doing with this podcast is sort of um, reinforcing this idea that I think in recent years that people have kind of gotten away from in discourse about dark shadows is that it is, it is, you know, it's, it is its own thing. It's a very unique thing, but it's also a huge uh, thing for monster kids growing up in the sixties and seventies. It's part of that tapestry. Uh, and it's, it's an, an important and key part of that uh, in, in terms of pop culture and its influence. And Dan Curtis himself, uh, although I think he kind of downplayed played it a little bit in interviews, uh, I, I, probably because at the time it was probably not really looked fondly upon to be a horror fan or a monster kid you know, they didn't call it monster kid back then but curtis was he always said i love that stuff the frankensteins the draculas the ghost stories turn of the screw he could see it in his eye he lights up in his interviews and i love that stuff he infused all of that into dark shadows uh so i i think and i i think he should get a rondo award for the monster kid hall of fame honestly because he he dan curtis should be honored in that way oh if if that hasn't happened already that's a crime against you know humanity because i think Mm -hmm. that um um dan curtis was in my opinion one of the seminal figures in the development of the monster culture that as as it exists now like if you look at you know dark shadows to the night stalker Mm -hmm. to excuse me dark shadows to house of dark shadows yeah to the Night Stalker, and then what was called Bram Stoker's Dracula when it originally came out with Jack yeah. Palance. Oh, Those yeah. are that's a tremendous run of um, of monster <laughs> movie making, ingenious in my opinion use of um, location and cinematography. Uh, those uh, those four sort of stories if you will um i have not seen the dan curtis uh, dr jekyll and mr hyde i need oh to that's that really good um, i mean it's it's it, i think it was nominated for emmys i mean it was uh, jack palance was a great mr hyde because jack palance is very he was very intimidating. In fact, when they made the 89 Batman, they were trying to find somebody who could be more intimidating than Jack Nicholson to play his boss and they to play right. boss Grissom. And it was Jack Palance. He was, he relished in playing Hyde. It was very evil, that pure id, uh, you know, that, that Hyde is. And he, he was a great, great Jekyll and Hyde. He's a, he was a great Dracula as well. There's a oh, scene yeah. where he's telling uh harker to write the letters and tell him you're not going to be back soon and mm-hmm. he, just, he just grabs harker by the neck it's <laughs> such a big dude you know he just kind of really fit the part it's yeah. a, it's a you yeah. know it's uh again i have to take a step back and just kind of say again that you know in terms of creating yeah. stories like this dan curtis just yeah. really you know um is the yeah. is one of the, the seminal figures Oh yeah, for me, right up there no. with you know Val Luton and you know um, Carl Lamley and all those guys. The yeah. the fabric of what we love is sort of is based on uh, on his enthusiasm. And there's, if you, uh, I have the Night Stalker, Night Strangler, uh, two disc uh, DVD, and they interview Curtis there, and his enthusiasm is just off the charts. You yeah. can just really, really tell his he, the way mm-hmm. he talks about. Um, 
uh, meeting Richard Matheson, you know, mm -hmm. it's just, uh, it's just really amazing. But yeah. um, and you can see it in the in the uh, interviews on the Dark Shadows DVDs as well. And, and other people they speak to like Sam Hall and Lara Parker and some of the other people involved with Dark Shadows reference somehow Dan, I don't know how Dan knew this stuff, but he he knew it because he, he, li he liked that stuff growing up. And Dark Shadows, he infused it that into Dark Shadows. Um, you know, Dan, I mean, we, it's not only Dan Curtis, obviously the writers, the actors, the, the Robert Colbert, et cetera. But Curtis, I think, was responsible for putting that sort of classic horror, gothic horror spirit right. into the show. And Dark Shadows also bridged, and we have the famous 60s monster craze. But as you pointed out with the, things like the Marvel monsters, there was also a 70s monster, monster craze, which I call the aftershock because it's like after the shock <laughs> theater package. Correct. You have the 70s monster craze and Dark Shadows bridged the gap there. Dark Shadows went from the 60s into the early 70s, right? So correct. I think Dark Shadows is kind of the bridge there between 60s monster craze and 70s monster craze. 70s monster craze is a little comes a little, kind of a little more, I guess, uh, Dr. Durant Sanctum, which is a YouTube channel, he referred, referred to it as a little more lurid, I guess, than the 60s monster Perhaps. craze. I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's it's great, too. I, I, that's, I was growing up during that time, too. So I just that that resonates with me, the, a lot of that imagery from from that time period, too. Um, so um, we have uh, you watched Sombras Tenebrosas, then you came to back to the states did you see it then you saw it in english here i did not see it in english i could not find it oh, okay. um that was back when uh for all the kids that are listening we only had five or six uh tv channels on our televisions mm -hmm. and even into even into the 80s i really uh couldn't uh find it and so for for many years i knew it existed but i i was not able to see it uh in english and it wasn't until um I bought a, a DVD that had um, The Haunting of Collingwood and a few other sort of a uh, bunch of episodes kind of put together yeah. that I started watching. And first of all, it shocked me to see episodes in color, number one. <laughs> yeah. I was quite I was I was quite taken by that. But um uh after and I and I really enjoyed them as well. Mm -hmm. Again, it was when the the stuff I saw in Costa Rica in, in the early 70s was black and white, and it was very analogous to the uh, Santo films and also yeah. the Universal Monster films. But to see it in color was just kind of another joy and another revelation because um, um, you could really see from um, from a standpoint of saturation of color, the, the fashion, uh, the storytelling was just top notch and it now that i you know i'm a jaded you know um film industry uh designer i i see how it must have been really hard to to continuously make episodes every day yeah. and on top of that there's an element of physical special effects that you have to add to a lot of the episodes mm -hmm. as well and um you know uh, I don't know what the layout was for the uh, stages where they shot uh, Dark Shadows, but I wonder if they had all the sets around the the outside and then just had the cameras positioned on the inside so you could go from from set to set yeah. really easily. I hear from um, what I understand, it was a very kind of a narrow set, almost like a rectangular kind of shape. And they, they sometimes they had to run 
yeah, to get from one end of the the, the set, the studio oh, to the other goodness. to do uh to do a scene. And sometimes there are yeah, there, there are some scenes every every so often you'll see there's like a little a little lag or somebody will come in seeming like they're a little you know just because a, they, just a beat late Interesting. yeah yeah because they, sometimes the sets were, were i mean they had the the standing sets that were always like collinwood i think and the old right. house but then you had like some that would show up periodically like chris jennings cottage or something like that that would show up pretty periodically but yeah um now when just before we move on to, to house of dark shadows Sure. I want to mention, you know, this, um, you're talking about watching Dark Shadows in, in Costa Rica, dubbed in Spanish, and um, a lot of fans aren't aware of the fact that Dark Shadows was huge in a lot of those uh, Spanish-speaking countries. Oh, uh, Jonathan the, Fred the did tour. Yeah, the family just, like, stopped what they were doing to yeah. watch mm -hmm. Sombras Tenebrosas, like, yeah. it's two o'clock, we gotta, it's yeah. kind of funny, because I could sort of say this now as an adult, we would have lunch the rosary <laughs> then watch sombras <laughs> you have to protect yourself from the yeah, supernatural no, forces oh, coming yeah the and, TV. you know i uh i reverse you know just kind of sitting through you know the rosary thinking okay well this will be over soon and we can watch dark shadows you know, for <laughs> Sombra so. that's great i love that story that's fantastic yeah. no no um, it's a lot of fun i you know i and I, my mom could see you know how you know I don't want to say impatient. I'll say itchy. I was to sort of <laughs> yeah. get the rosary over, and then okay, we'll uh, watch uh, Sombra Cenebrosas. But uh, yeah. it was kind. Of, it was it was quite a time. It That's great. There's yeah. a there's a you mentioned uh, the Santo films. There's a a comic book that came out. I think it was probably must have been in, during that time period. It was a Blue Demon comic, a Luchador oh, comic, really? but it has Barnabas on the cover of the comic, and no it's kidding. like Blue Demon contra los vampiros or something. And I was like, I I want to find. I've seen the cover of it. I'll send I'll send you an image from it of the cover. I've been trying to track that down because I wonder if the story inside has Barnabas in it, or if they were just using Barnabas to sort of draw interest because it was Dark Shadows was such a big hit there. I wonder if they were trying to. Uh, you know attract people's eyes to the cover or something like that interesting i don't know but i i will say that um i i found two old um don post monster mask ads from famous monsters and i posted one on instagram and i posted the other one on facebook and the the one that i posted on instagram is kind of the classic they had the license to do all of the universal monsters dracula looks like bella lugosi the yeah. Frankenstein monster looks like uh, Mr. Karloff. Yeah. But then the one I posted on Facebook, which I kind of like a little bit more, honestly, <laughs> it's um, the, it, there's one that says old vampire. And that's oh. clearly the old, that's clearly oh, yeah. old Barnabas makeup. Clearly. For sure. From the house of dark shadows. Yes. Makeup that Dick Smith. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. They just, yes. I, they just didn't have the, the license for a dark shadows. So they couldn't use that name, but it's obviously that's exactly obviously, what that is. What yeah. it is. <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a makeup guy that I know named Bart Mixon. Who's a very nice man. He's on Instagram as well. And um, he explains that there's an interesting history with the Barnabas Barnabas uh, makeup mm -hmm. the old age makeup um that 
part of it is from the Dustin Hoffman Little Big Man. Yes. Uh, yep. Film, mm-hmm. and uh, I was I was quite surprised to hear that. Yeah, so, it came out the uh, same year, uh, the Little Big Man. So yeah, Dick Smith was doing some uh, repurposing there. Uh, I don't know if it was like a cost saving measure or if it just worked out that way, but yeah, yeah. You know, as far as I'm concerned, Dick Smith can do whatever he wants. Oh, I mean, for he's, sure. He's, you know. <laughs> He He's one the, of the legends in our business. My goodness. 100%. Uh, you agree. Yeah. He did the old age makeup for Barnabas on the TV sh- uh, show too. When Barnabas aged in the TV show, um, they brought in Dick Smith to do that uh, as well. Wow. Then, what a pedigree. Yeah. A but pedigree. then for, for the movie version, it's way more terrifying. I mean, it's, it's, it's scary. They went like one this. Of the sh- yeah. They took everything uh, in the TV show and then they amped it up for, uh, for the picture yes. yes which is a great lead-in uh for for our discussion on house of dark shadows uh amp- amping it up to 11 for sure is the the uh the motto should be the motto of uh of house of dark shadows it's like which... when marty turns up the amp and back to the future yeah that's what <laughs> yeah. they did in house of dark shadows yeah and, um as much as i uh really enjoyed the enjoy and continue to enjoy the episodes which are on Tubi everyone I'm yeah. probably the last one to explain all this but um, <laughs> they are on Tubi yeah. um, and for Halloween they're on I hear there was some on Peacock too they have oh, a chunk of episodes yeah I believe so yeah pretty cool but anyway yeah. I I found out about House of Dark Shadows when I was in the um, early stages of writing um, Dracula of Transylvania I was having lunch with uh, two friends of mine another artist named P. Von Shali, and the legendary Don Glute. Yes, so, Don <laughs> was yes, on so, this show recently. <laughs> yeah, Don and Don is amazing. I've known him for many, many years, and we, you know, share a lot of the same interests. And uh, and but I'm just a, a kid compared to Don. And Don like knew Glenn Strange. He knew Forey Ackerman. Wow. Like he knew those guys. He, you know, yeah. met uh, many of the cast from Dark Shadows and. So I was telling him about the Dark Shadows DVD uh, and my and Sombras Tenebrosas, right? And he said, mm-hmm. "Oh, well, you you got to get House of Dark Shadows." And I said, mm-hmm. "Really?" And he said, "Yes, it's uh, the movie." And um, Don would probably say he doesn't remember saying this, but he said, "It's like the clip. It's like the cliff notes." Yes, of, of Dark Shadows. <laughs> yeah, it's like you can just watch that, and you're caught up with like the first. Uh, uh part of the of the run of the show and i went <laughs> okay and so um i didn't know that it was available on um dvd and i bought it right away and holy smokes what a what a treasure i think that picture is and i yeah. I, I i understand that you know um some people like it and some people don't yeah but yep. I, I i do feel like it is kind of a um to paraphrase the, the great don glute it is a great way for those that are um late to the party to uh walk in and catch up and i think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of uh, wonderful things about uh that that picture that we can get into very very specifically uh absolutely as we go yeah. along yeah. yeah, right. I mean, just right away, uh, prior to even the film being released, uh, if you've ever watched the trailers for House of Dark Shadows, I mean, the trailers are great, but they're also very, um, you would never see this today. The trailers spoil 
so many things in in the movie um like like uh roger and carolyn and professor stokes being turned into vampires and then carolyn being staked by by stokes and things that they show right in the trailer and they would never do that today because it's just they would never do that today yeah <laughs> it's major things that happen in the film that are spoiled right up right in the trailer uh and i love there, the, the, there are two things they say that are taglines for for House of Dark Shadows. The famous one is "Come see how the vampires do it," which is just kind of a tacky tagline. I always thought my my favorite is after they say that in the trailer, the the voiceover goes "House," and a very Karloffian voice goes "House of Dark Shadows." Nobody lives there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That one gets me every time. I I love it. But I mean, right away you see that this is uh, dark shadows with kind of uh, a a much it's darker shadows. You know, it's much more uh, horror. The TV show I've talked about horror and terror on this podcast before. The uh -huh. TV show leans much more into terror and uh -huh. uh, with definitely there's horror in it too. But I'd say you know there is. 75% terror, 25% horror, maybe 70, 30, something like that. But the House of Dark Shadows definitely pushes kind of things more into the horror direction. With There's lots of terror. It's a beautiful gothic horror film set in the present day. Uh, right. But it also has a very Hammer-esque kind of quality to it. Very well. much. Uh, I mean, that was yes. one of my my overall thoughts, sort mm -hmm. of watching uh, the picture. I mean, I just saw it again recently to prepare mm -hmm. for this interview. And it's just... Mm -hmm. It is sort of Dan Curtis's version of of horror, Hammer Horror, absolutely for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's and it's for, for those who may not even be have watched the TV show Dark Shadows. It's a it's a great vampire movie. It's a great story and a great premise, and it did very well for MGM when it was released. Dan Curtis was trying to get a, a Dark Shadows movie made. So uh, he started in 1968. He started kind of pitching this idea of doing a Dark Shadows movie as the show became a hit. Uh, mm -hmm. And then when it became a huge hit in 1960, that's where it hit the peak during that 1897 storyline. Um, then MGM gave him the thumbs up. They, uh, Sam Hall started writing the script during the Leviathan storyline. Sam and Gordon, Sam Hall and Gordon Russell, they were working on that. And then they shot the film uh, while the show was still going on. This is insane. I don't even know how... They managed to do this, but the TV show was still going on it, concurrently with the filming of House of Dark Shadows. So um, it, it was this during the parallel time, 1970 storyline, Barnabas got chained in his coffin uh, so that the uh, author, w William H. Loomis, uh, in parallel time could interview him about his life story, which certainly must be where Anne Rice got the idea for her interview with the van. She was a Dark I'm not going to disagree with that. I'm yeah. not going to disagree with that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, she's uh -huh. on record as being a fan of the show. I'm pretty sure that's where she got the idea for that. So they're film uh, all the kind of the leads of the show. Well, the a chunk of them to went to go do House of Dark Shadows. Um, David Selby and um, uh, Lara Parker sort of uh, and uh, Chris Penna kind of carried the load on. Uh, for the TV show. Mm. Um, and they went up to Tarrytown to shoot this film. Uh, there was a new Collinwood, which was the Lindhurst estate. Uh, and an uh, astonishing location. Oh, yeah. Amazing location. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, it definitely has a very, uh, like, a, it looks like a castle. I mean, it looks like a Gothic castle, is exactly what it looks like. The, the Sea View Terrace, I love, looks like a haunted mansion, but this mm -hmm. looks like a, a ca haunted castle. Um, and it, originally, Curtis wanted to 
edit together clips from the TV show as a theatrical film, which I'm I'd like, read that. Wow. It's I, I pretty can't interesting. imagine how that would have worked. They abandoned that idea pretty early on, but I don't even know how they would have done that as a theatrical release. I could see that maybe as a TV movie or something like that, but I, I can't imagine they would have would have done that theatrically. So I, I, I will say um, if I could have a conversation with uh, Mr. Curtis, the the question that I would ask him is why why retell the story and why not tell another dark shadow story? Not that I'm mm -hmm. complaining, but it mm -hmm. is an interesting question in my opinion. Yeah. You know, and the second observation I will make is that um, my first big job was on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. And that was being produced analogous to Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm -hmm. And being in the middle of that, I can say that it was incredibly chaotic and the two stages were right across from each other. The production offices were on the other side of the Paramount lot. But it was nuts trying to create two TV shows. And then they intertwined them for the pilot, right, briefly. Yeah. It was uh, amazing. So, um, And that's being on the same lot. I, I don't know how they managed to shoot stuff on location while the show was being produced on a daily basis that must have been that must have been nuts yeah i i just it's just crazy i mean just the the thought of that is just banana and some of the actors were kind of doing double duty too on, holy on smokes that. so you know they're going back and forth and stuff um so the, right when the film opens i mean that they uh, redo the theme from the tv show but it's somehow scarier and it ends with this bird like crying out and it's um you get just right away you, you get into it and uh as dawn said kind of the cliff notes version of the barnabas <laughs> yeah. storyline but also it's a I see it as a sort of a parallel universe version of the barn. If Sarah, the ghost of Sarah Collins had never appeared because she sort of starts to bring out more of Barnabas's conscience in the TV show, the ghost of his dead little sister. Right. right. So, but there's no Sarah in this. So Barnabas is, this is how Dan Curtis originally envisioned Barnabas Collins, which was much more as a predator and a marauder, which he also was in the show, but he's, but there, he's tempered by these, you know, the shades of gray that, that were infused into the character. And here there's some of that when he, when he starts to have this hope of a, of a, of a cure, quote unquote cure, but, um, but it's more of a, a much darker version of the character. Well, he also uh, starts to feel like he could rediscover love as yeah. well throughout the story. Right. But in the beginning, mm -hmm. he's certainly this marauder uh, predator, as you described he, he he needs to feed right away. It's pretty it's pretty cool. Um, when Daphne is walking to her car, you can hear a bat on the soundtrack, and that kind of represents, in my opinion, oh, yeah. Barnabas flying over past her and then landing uh, next to the car and transforming. And yeah. so that attack happens really really quickly. But I, I I have to sort of just give pause overall and say that the photography in this picture is really amazing. The yeah. shadows are rich and dark. They are not afraid to put sort of um, mm. darkened, uh, clothed people in a in an all black, <laughs> you know, shadow filled room, and yeah. it feels very ghostly at times. You know, oh. it's uh, it's really impressive, and I I, um, I think that um, they took great advantage in shooting day for night, but still making it feel mysterious and foreboding and and mm. really really interesting. 
Oh, absolutely. I think Arthur Ornitz was the cinematographer on the on the film, I believe. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's beautifully shot. And the day day for night, I noticed, like when I would watch it on TV when when they would show it around Halloween on whatever do you do Superstation TBS or whatever, or you'd see it. I had the I have the VHSs too. Um, I think when they transferred it to DVD, I think there was some something that they changed or or lightened or removed the filter because it's the day for night. It actually looks lighter even on the on the Blu-ray than it does on like the old prints of it that I that I've seen. So something happened. I've had when I have Darren Gross on and maybe Ansel again, I might ask them because uh, Darren Gross has he's the one responsible for the Night of Dark Shadows restoration project and located all that footage and he's also you know he has also been looking for house of dark shadows footage but that's believed to have been destroyed uh according to ansel farage it's probably gone because there were stuff there was stuff that was cut from house of dark shadows like david hanging himself in the closet to scare maggie and things like that that were shot that was shot but it's that's gone and then david is certainly a handful at the beginning of the story oh yeah oh for sure yeah he's trying to scare maggie and then there were was a, a scene that I don't think was ever shot was uh, Nan- Nancy Hodiak was going to be played by Marie Wallace and some fans claim to have seen that but that never existed that was in the script but they they never did that scene um, my understanding is that there's a paperback book I wonder if the paperback edition yeah. carries those scenes in there the paperback does have that stuff in it and also this a book which for the video version of this podcast you can see i'm holding it up the dark shadows movie book which was put out by Catherine lee scott uh hey, pomegranate cool. press and this contains the scripts for both house and night of dark shadow full script so you can you can still i mean this isn't no long it's out of print but you should can find it on amazon or, or e, uh, ebay and things like that um but yeah i mean the movie it just it kicks off right away. You got Willie freeing Barnabas from the coffin. He shows up at, at Collinwood. And it's great seeing all the actors. The first time I saw this, my uncle Valdemar, who introduced me to Dark Shadows. Used what a to great name, Valdemar. <laughs> Valdemar. He's he, he, he does kind of look like Paul Nashy, too. He has a, a little vaguely resembles him, but it's, we call him Uncle Val for short. Okay. Or TT Val. But he um he was a big monster kid too. So he's the one who got me into all of this stuff. And he okay. introduced me to Dark Shadows and House of Dark Shadows. He used to tell me, oh, the, the movie version, Barnabas is really mean in the movie version. He kills everybody in, in the movie version. He kind of does. I he, mean, yeah. He kind of <laughs> does yeah yeah the, and it's great seeing the and i think that's probably one of the reasons why some fans really hate house of dark shadows is that some fans love it and some fans say i love house of dark shadows i just see it as kind of its own thing it's its own in its own universe the um, only line for and, me is the major motion picture that came out a few years ago that we're not going to really discuss oh yes that's, that's <laughs> kind of my that's kind Agreed. of my line everything Agreed. else yeah with relationship with relation to to dark shadows is is pretty cool to me yeah. agreed agreed um but he's um, barnabas is really mean and, and but it's but it was i think one of the things people don't like is you know you see these characters you get you get familiar with every day like you know uh carolyn for example and, and roger and uh professor stokes and they all get they get all get murdered i mean they're all they're all everybody every not elizabeth and david i think they're the only ones who may make it to the end julia i mean julia gets strangled everybody gets offed in house of dark shadows uh for the most maybe that's why they you know some fans don't like it but i i just Mm -hmm. felt like um you know there was some great storytelling there i think Mm -hmm. the whole carolyn vampire story is 
is really uh, haunting and mm -hmm. uh, impressive. And it's quite, it's quite the contrast to see the cops kind of gather uh, to, I will say, finish her off. And it's quite an interesting contrast to the end of Night Stalker, where the the cops are also kind of gathered around to yes. sort of try to try to finish off the vampire. But uh, mm -hmm. I think there's some great storytelling. The pace in this film is relentless. It just yeah. it just goes 100 miles an hour, and then suddenly the movie's over, and yeah. and you're left with this uh, with all this information that you take in, and um, you're sitting there thinking that you're going to watch perhaps an extension of of the story maybe that's why the trailers felt so you know were so clear and stating hey this is not the this is the movie version we're yeah. not sort of running in the parallel universe right yeah. so it's it, with 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 the tv series but it's still I, I think an incredible you know piece of filmmaking the introduction of of barnabas through his pov moving through you know yeah is i think amazing and mm -hmm. uh some of the uh shot setups that uh curtis um pulls off uh like the introduction of roger through you know barnabas's cane yes you kind yeah. of rack focus it's i think it's really really well done you know it, there's there's a high level of thought that went into that i i i completely love the um Willie's uh, discovery of the the coffin and trying to break in and get the jewels and then oh, yeah. the payoff is suddenly Barnabas has the jewels and he's yeah. presenting yes. them as well as if he brought them from England. It's it's really good, solid storytelling. You know, you just and I, I appreciate storytelling that doesn't have to sort of lay it out for you as you mm -hmm. go. Uh, if you don't know that what that necklace is and that that was you know Willie's you know goal and mm -hmm. his treasure hunt and um. Now it belongs to um, the the Collins family again. I, yeah. I just think that that's really, you know, impressive stuff. Yeah. And Barnabas, of course, has his reason why he has it, you know, oh, he, given to his again, ancestor. He's very Machiavellian throughout the story. Yes. You know, he's very clear. And I would say, you know, very, um, very predatory is a good word. He's very, he's really aggressive in the story. And if you're used to sort of, sublime and restrained um the version of of the character and then suddenly you see this this version of jonathan frid sort of being very aggressive and saying oh i want this i want that i need this i need to do that oh i can be cured that's great mm -hmm. so uh th um that's all um done really quickly very impressively mm -hmm. and shot beautifully i mean i yeah. again I, I can't under understate the the uh the photography in this picture. Just Agreed. Gorgeous. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, and there, they did so many things that they weren't able to do on the show, like the funeral scene, for example, uh, with uh, Jerry Lacey as the minister, which was fun too, seeing all these actors even that we knew from the show and in smaller yes. roles showing up in cameos, like Humphrey Ellen Estrato shows up as a doctor, et cetera. But the funeral scene in the rain um, was so moody. Uh, I and, agree. And, and eerie. And it just gives you, you just, you just feel cold, chilly, like watching that, like you're um, gray and overcast. And then scenes later on, like in the, in the monastery, beautiful, gothic, beautiful scene with a candle, candelabras everywhere and absolutely the fog rolling down the stairs and, and, uh, you know, uh, Catherine Lee Scott in this, you know, 18th century wedding dress and Fr uh, Barnabas, you know, with his arms out. It's just, incredible uh just sublime is is the word there i mean it really is something that is 
whether you like the the content or not i know jonathan frid himself was not a fan of house of dark shadows because he I'm thought sorry it was, to hear that yeah he you thought know, it he, he felt it was too um i used the word lurid earlier i he felt it was too much in that direct it was too he liked the more he liked playing the, subtle, the subtlety subtlety more he, okay. he felt it wasn't um it was too overboard he thought um but i mean that was as his, i tell my taste. kids and my students it's okay to like both you know, that, yeah, exactly it, that's okay. how yep yeah, that's how i feel i like both uh i love house of dark shadows if somebody were to say which is your favorite i'm gonna pick the tv show because it's more well there's just more, more i yeah. mean there's a two-hour movie and then there's mm. just 1500 yeah. episodes right sure like, come yeah. on it's it's an it's an epic story and i'm i'm just cutting in here with an, an additional thought that i thought of after the show ended and i really should have mentioned it i just want to point out a contrast here with the tv show there's something inviting about the tv show that makes you want to live in that world even though collinwood is is a dangerous place to live collinsport itself is a dangerous place to live there's a good chance you're not going to make it or you're going to come back as some undead ghoul okay if you live there but there's something I don't know. There's a, a warmth almost. There's something inviting that that fantasy, that escape, that sort of romanticism, that romantic dark fantasy element that pulls you in to that world, right? Whereas the House of Dark Shadows universe, I don't want to live there. I don't want to live in that Collinwood. I don't want to live in that Collinsport. Um, there's a coldness to that version of Dark Shadows, but it's still really cool it's it's great to watch it's a great horror movie you know it's like um we were talking about marvel comics in this episode it's like marvel's what if okay what if the ghost of sarah collins never appeared uh or what if dan curtis had gone through with his original plan for barnabas collins um it's an alternate version of the established events that doesn't affect the established events it's just sort of a a fun what if and it's super fun it's just a super fun exercise and let's try this version of the story, a different flavor of Dark Shadows with certain elements altered so that events go in a different direction. And I think I think that's fun. Um, but there's something that's not as um, inviting, I would say, as the TV show. So just a thought I'm throwing out there. Yeah, I, I, I will say that you don't see the exterior of the blue whale mm -hmm. in, uh, in this picture, uh, but yet it's still shot yeah. Uh at a really interesting location. Mm -hmm. The scene between uh David and Caroline in that sort of abandoned pool oh, location is so really cool. Just yeah. really well done. Yeah. And again, um so much of our literature and imagery of uh vampirism is based on this sort of pale face floating ghost-like uh against the dark night. Mm -hmm. And that scene and and uh, a few others uh, does that for me um dr stokes turn at the end of the picture is oh yeah really shot in a very misty very dark you know yeah. um yeah. Uh, location and it's awesome it, yeah uh, if anything that scene goes too short because it you 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 know uh you get a sense of it and then you're sort of terrified and then and then he's gone which right. is too bad because it's 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 a really cool scene and it makes me wonder um you know what other stuff must have been cut because the mm -hmm. my only lament with that picture is that it's an hour and a half long and it, another 10 or 15 minutes you know yeah uh wouldn't have hurt it perhaps there were, there were a few other things that were didn't make it in into the film like um there's this whole 
a thing that uh, Roger Davis's character, Jeff Clark, is a, is an artist. Uh, and so um, the, there's one part in the film where Barnabas tells Willie, he says, what are you going to, Willie says, what are you going to do to him? Uh, he's concerned Barnabas is going to harm. And Barnabas says, I didn't, do, I'm not going to do anything to him. In fact, I've done something for him. And that references, there was a scene that was going to be in the film that um, Roger Davis's character finds out that Bar Barnabas has arranged an art show for him in Boston to get him out of town. So that that was cut. And then there's another scene with Jeff Clark too, testing out the crossbow, the one he oh. uses to shoot. He, there's a scene where he's supposed to test it out first. There was some stuff like that that didn't make it in, into the final film. Um, but the thing with Stokes, with yeah, he was a very... Uh, that was like I hadn't seen the trailer yet when I was a kid. If you watch the trailer, it'll spoil it. But um, I didn't know Stokes was going to get turned into a vampire because he's and I want to talk about some of the other characters in addition to Barnabas but Stokes is one of them because he's Professor Stokes in the show was always kind of the Van Helsing of the show and right. that he was sort of the occult scholar who's the one who's initially kind of suspicious of of some things about Barnabas. But here it's all the way he's all the way in Van Helsing mode, like he find, figure, finds out Barnabas is a vampire and he's he's the one who stakes Carolyn, and then he he starts to pursue Barnabas as well. But the twist that he actually fails and is turned into a vampire is uh, that was shocking to me when I was a child when I saw that. And Carolyn, it's shocking too. because oh. you don't expect it, of mm -hmm. course. But the way it's the way that the story is paced at that point, it's mm -hmm. it's rushing toward his conclusion, and yeah. so you you're kind of with um the movie as it as yeah. it kind of gears up toward the ending and you know good audiences really understand that stuff you know they yeah. that's they understand when they're excited and unfortunately they understand what when, when they're bored and and mm -hmm. with this picture there is just there really isn't a, a moment um mm -hmm. to do that i i feel like um you know um the pacing is great it's like a runaway pacing, train it's just like boom, it, boom, it really boom. is yeah. it really is and then yeah. you have this sort of momentum going toward the end and mm. you think that everyone's just kind of going to run in and um help out but no actually um roger and dr stokes have met an unfortunate uh, fate right and, yeah and that i really love in storytelling when stuff happens on off screen mm -hmm. and then you're introduced to it um as part of the exposition as in a surprise so there's the double beat where uh stokes is a vampire but he's also failed in his uh mission and he can't help out anymore because uh yeah. he's um he's one of the undead now yeah so yeah and so how about what uh some of the other characters i'll just throw out at you um Catherine lee scott as maggie evans was she when i had Catherine on on this show she pointed out that leonard malton told her she was in more shots in the film than uh frit was than jonathan frit was so she's she was in the film even more than uh jonathan was she was doing the tv show at the same time so she came out like everybody else who was doing it and um so she played maggie the governess what do you what did you think of her I thought that her performance was impressive because uh, she has to be kind of a um, a convincing um, character on many levels. She has to be this governess and she has to be this friend and um, she also has to play the, the object of um, Barnabas' uh, affections and, yeah. and yet she still st kind of stands her ground as a as a smart character, like you mm -hmm. really kind of get the sense that um, 
you know, she's kind of the one of the more inquisitive uh, characters in the story, you know, yeah. and, and um, there's a scene where she's walking around with Barnabas during daylight. And it's an extraordinary scene because, oh, yeah. you know, we know uh, that he's a vampire walking around during the day. But the way that she uh, plays her dialogue uh, with him during that scene, and you're supposed to understand uh, that she's really impressed by him uh, and the way that she explains, you know, we were having dinner the other night and, you know, um, you were so focused on me and today you seem sort of very uh, distant. And he, then, and then uh, Jonathan sort of exp explains that this is kind of a whole new world for me to, yeah. you know, and she thinks that uh, perhaps he's referring to their relationship, but he's also referring to, of course, being yeah. out, uh, you know, in this new world that he hasn't seen in almost 200 years. And so yeah. I, I was just really impressed by by the way that um, she just kind of gave a credence to, to her character. That kind of goes a little bit further than uh, the stuff I've seen in the series, if I may be so bold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I um yeah they never did a scene like that you know in the in the Correct. show where they're walking around in the daylight I mean Barnabas um I, I always felt that Julia's cure uh it was never it could never be permanent because I mean and George DiCenzo the associate producer it's a supernatural it's thing. a supernatural it's not, affliction. it's not a scientific thing yeah you know? I think she yeah. could arrest it temporarily I mean with mad science you know you can maybe arrest it temporarily but I, I think with a supernatural uh, curse you know you can't really eliminate it and i think ultimately that would have been kind of doomed to failure the only time when it really actually kind of did succeed was with uh, the adam experiment which was a mad science experiment with uh, the man-made monster adam in the show but i think in the in the film though it's interesting because in the tv show barnabas is the one who forces julia to speed up the experiments because they're Correct. starting to work and he Correct. then it's his fault uh and whereas in the film version uh, you know, just like in the show, Julia is in love with Barnabas, but I think my friend Raymond Castile says Julia's ultimate example of being friend zoned. She's always, you know, in that she's Barnabas does not reciprocate her feelings in that way. But in the movie, she's the one who actually decides to undermine the uh, experiment. And and uh, she's going to pack up and get out of here. She's like, I, you know, yeah. I'm going to give him the uh, a double dose and yeah. I am out of here. And mm -hmm. um, that scene is actually pretty shocking. There it is. That when was you, that shocked uh, the hell out of me when I was a child. I, I would, wasn't expecting to Barnabas to and that to happen and Julia to die. You know, it was just like very shocking when I first saw. Yeah, that. no, and I, uh, I have to say, all of the attacks in mm -hmm. all the vampire attacks in this uh, story are pretty shocking. They're they're violent. Um, uh, you can even I, hear the crunch when he bites. Yes, you can. Yes, like, you can. Whoa. And then the sort of the gaping, torn flesh of the neck is mm -hmm. uh, when Carolyn is attacked is quite oh, shocking. Yeah. And poor Willie just kind of standing there. He, yeah, he's so shocked. Though he, um, John Carlin's rea reaction is, I think, incredible, and it makes oh. that scene. Um, Nancy but, Barrett and John Carlin were so, were, uh, so good. I fantastic. Terrific. It's yeah. terrific, and just yeah. a really the advantage that this picture had over the tv show if you know if the audience doesn't mind me saying so is the characters the actors knew their characters by this point yeah right? oh yeah yeah so um it's a little different than sort of growing into the character as you play it on a daily mm -hmm. basis and then suddenly a few years later you're like hey we're going to revisit this characters in another story 
but it's you know uh mm-hmm. it's the same character and so the actors all really knew um and played very very well yeah uh their their parts and um you know poor dr hoffman yeah is a very complicated character in that story mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. she at times feels like she you know it seems like she doesn't really um is coming to the realization that she's uh, in love with uh with Barnabas, uh, mm-hmm. especially in that scene with uh, with where Elliot just plows in and confronts her. Another again, we kind of oh, keep going back right. and Those forth. Two but it's together, a, it's so a terrific good. scene. Yeah. Like they're yeah. great actors, and he's like, you know, I'm gonna hold you responsible for this, and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's really great. But Doctor, the in my opinion, the best scene in the picture is when or with Doctor Hoffman is when. She confronts Barnabas. She goes to his house. Oh yeah. She yeah. and she takes out a cross and she's yeah. like, What do you think of this, fella? Yeah. And yeah. um and and she's like, I'll put it away if you guarantee my safety. It's like it's great stuff. It's, it's great. All, it is, yeah. And the way that Barnabas reacts to it, you know, put that it's away. Very, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very cool. Um uh I, I really feel like the series and this TV show influenced pictures like um, the Frank Langella Dracula. Oh, oh um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, uh, Salem's Lot. Some of the mm-hmm. some of the late seventies um, stuff just was really influenced by by some of the scenes we we talked about here. And yeah. um, Barnabas just beats the heck out of uh, Willie. Uh, oh yeah, and it's and it's terrific in a horrific way. You know, you yeah. believe it completely, and then when Stokes shows up. You know, Willie's just kind of turning, you know, um, it, it is really a journey of of Willie and Barnabas throughout the story. And yeah. uh, and yet, you know, the scenes with uh, the scene with with Barnabas and Dr. Hoffman is is really great. Mm-hmm. Their, uh, her introduction to him, the way the 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 um, the, the mirror gag done yeah. in a different way. It's just really, really well shot, and then yeah. uh, it culminates in, you know, she gets <laughs> she gets strangled by yeah by a livid Barnabas. Like he just was not going to accept anything. Uh, he could not accept her betrayal. Like yeah. that's kind mm-hmm. of his deal. You know, you if you're you're either in or you're out. And uh, mm-hmm. he murders her. Maggie walks in, starts screaming, and essentially Barnabas replenishes him replenishes himself yeah with her it's terrific uh mm-hmm. movie making and that camera is like moving around you know and, and it's quite the contrast to the tv show where you have like a coverage maybe you have two or three cameras in in one yeah. scene and i get that but mm-hmm. here you, the camera's just whipping around it's really impressive yeah it's a sort of a frenetic feeling like you know the, just like how you know barnabas is what's happening to me uh it's kind of gives you that feeling an anxious feeling almost and um when then you see of course as you mentioned the the dick smith uh old man makeup for barnabas and he also did the bite those gruesome bites that dan curtis wanted a something even more gruesome looking than the two puncture wounds the traditional two no no you could see the yeah there's a pancake flap forgive me everybody it It, it looks like a pancake flap just kind of yeah, hanging out there, and it's quite horrifying. Yeah, quite he horrifying. he accomplished that. I guess he had, he took a piece of veal, Dick Smith, and bit into it a few times. Then he took a fork and made deeper holes in it, and then he made a mold of that, and that's what he used used for the wound on on the net. 
And then the old man makeup, that is one of the most, I think one of the most terrifying images, uh, just nightmare fuel, uh, you know, to see you know, Elizabeth, poor Elizabeth, we haven't mentioned much about Joan Bennett, who is ostensibly is the star of the film or with, along with Jonathan Frid, but she's, she's not in the film a whole lot. She, but she does, she's gone catatonic when Carolyn dies and then rises as a vampire and gets staked. So she's in this kind of catatonic state, kind of sitting, staring off, but she hears Maggie scream, walks into the room. And the first thing she sees is, you know, <laughs> this dead police officer, the, this hideous, monstrous old man with, blood dripping down his face and Maggie Evans dead on it. This is, I mean, this is horror. This is pure, uh, it's pure horror. Of horror. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The whole um, daily TV show aspect of uh, the, the show was uh, gone at this point and mm. we're watching uh, a Dan Curtis hammer horror film. Yes. You know, the yep. blood mm -hmm. is the, the, even the blood is like this really saturated red and exactly it's, um, like hammer it looked like hammer blood absolutely yeah. uh mm -hmm. and um there's a scene the scene that's uh kind of haunting for me is when the cop that's guarding maggie is asleep by the way the cop is the dad in back to the he's he's um is it george DiCenzo? mom's dad george in, DiCenzo. Yeah. yeah he's he was the associate producer of dark of the tv show and oh, no the film and he was getting into acting and he became a very successful actor he absolutely uh, became yeah. a successful yeah. actor but anyway the scene where he's sort of asleep mm -hmm. and the, the 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 secret door just opens and then yeah. this figure just kind of comes out and yeah oh so Jonathan eerie that makeup it's so creepy so it, creepy it really and then him kind of just looming over maggie and and uh he, she removes the crazy just staring at her with those bloodshot just eyes like the langella dracula there's yeah. a scene where uh he comes to the bedroom of um of mina and it's it's the same uh it feels the same for me mm -hmm. uh here it's just like this picture was really influential you know oh for sure and just the whole idea of i mean which they did in the tv show and in the movie and then as you pointed out in the palance jack palance dracula the idea of the um look-alike of the vampires i mean they did it in the mummy in the 32 mummy with the with the mummy with karloff but mm -hmm. as applied to a vampire dark shadows was the first to do that where the vampire's lost love is now in the present looks exactly the same and he becomes obsessed with her that is that came right through the ages into current vampire pop culture. If you, you watch the Jack Palance Dracula and then mm -hmm. the Coppola Dracula, you'll see yeah. a lot of similarities. Oh, I mean, yeah. the Coppola Dracula is a, is beautiful into itself, but you mm -hmm. know, there's again, like uh, that's why I say that Dan Curtis is just kind of this really important figure yeah. in the whole, you know, monster culture um, sure. uh, movement of the sixties and seventies, just a mm -hmm. really, you know, smart guy. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And big part of that too, um, and in, in this film and in all and all of Curtis's output, um, Robert Cobert rescored all all of his you know, a lot of his key themes from the show and stuff. But they're again, they're kind of amped up to I think he had more or a bigger orchestra to play with, and they're it's more layered. Uh, the soundtrack for the film, the score that Colbert right. does is very eerie and really fits the mood perfectly for each of these scenes, for sure. Uh, I there whenever um, Curtis wants to show sort of intrigue, um, the mm. soundtrack plays what I call the Dan Curtis flute, which is kind of the oh, yeah. thing, right? Yes. It's very, 
very endearing in my opinion they they yeah. do it in um uh the night stalker as well oh yeah and, um this film has it as well but it is it's just it's just heightened yeah. everything just kind of feels like we're telling you a more dramatic story on a lot of levels mm -hmm. and um we're not afraid to go there and this picture uh was not afraid to do that and you know when when barnabas kidnaps maggie and sets up the third act all the cops come together there's this yeah. great shot french connection like shot this precedes the french connection in my opinion yeah. where the camera's in the back of the car the police car mm -hmm. where it's approaching um uh the big house and um you just set off this incredible chain of events that sure that leads us to the uh the uh the, the heightened third act the third know? act yeah which of course you know we have sheriff patterson who in this version is played by dennis patrick who was of course jason mcguire and paul stoddard in a tv show i know and <laughs> one of the great i have to say jason um one Dennis of the Patrick, great villains. Oh, yes. Jason McGuire, uh, yeah. <laughs> Jason McGuire is one of the great villains of uh, of the show. It's just, and it was great mm -hmm. to see him here as a uh, as a protagonist. And um, you know, everyone's just kind of gathering together. But instead of the Frankenstein torches, they're they're uh, busting out the silver bullets, and silver bullets and cool. stakes. And I've had I've had uh, friends, a couple of friends, who watch the movie. Like, why why silver bullets? It's for werewolves, not vampires. There are, are actually it's not as common. Usually it's you know the wooden stake, but there are instances That's in correct. you know Montague Summers' books where he talks about vampire lore. There is there are instances yep. where the silver bullet is silver mentioned. Works as well. Yeah, and yes. then the hammer, the satanic rites of Dracula later on, we see that, that right. as figure into it. I mean, he, occasionally, it's one of the lesser things you see with relation to vampires. It's more associated with werewolves. Well, but... he, you know, Dr. Stokes gets filled with silver. Yeah. Right? Like that's, <laughs> he gets yeah. dispatched that way. So, yes. And but not... uh, Barnabas is the master vampire. And so it takes mm. a little bit more than that to get rid of him. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Which is okay. So we're, we're here in the third act. Barnabas has taken Maggie to St. Eustace Island to this. Uh, abandoned monastery great idea um, great idea oh, for yeah. a setting great for sure. idea perfect gothic yeah. isolated absolutely creepy setting i mean it's gothic so going off to this island um willie is preparing maggie and and you mentioned willie's sort of arc throughout the film barnabas and willie willie kind of redeems himself he at, the, does. at the end he really absolutely. does absolutely uh because he helped jeff clark shows up you know as you say battles stokes and stokes is very powerful throws him off the cliff and uh down the hill rather and then um jeff kills him with the silver bullets and there david did not was very uncomfortable with getting into the water like that he did it but it was uh he was a little scared about doing that he was not a fan of going into the water but he, he did do it um and then we have roger collins get staked which was very shocking for fans of the that TV was show. very shocking yeah. and very um the sort of the graphic buildup of the violence mm -hmm. right you yeah the shooting with the silver bullets you kind of have the the staking of roger mm -hmm. and um and then the the conclusion of the picture but you know, poor Roger was kind of a surprise. You don't, you know, um, yeah. if you haven't seen the trailer, you're you're surprised uh, that this is all going this, <laughs> this way. Is... And it's also kind of meant to to feel, in my opinion, to make the audience feel like Barnabas is this form, formidable character. Like you're, yeah. you know, um, 
uh, a few vampire hunters have tried to kill him and um, yeah. off screen, he has shown his worth and uh, mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to get rid of him that easy. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it was, I'm sure it was fun for the actors from the show because everybody always talks about like, Oh, I wanted to play a vampire. And Nancy Barrett always says I was a great vampire. She, uh -huh. And she was, she was a, the, the kind of the Lucy Western of, of house of dark shadows. She was, mm -hmm a sensational vampire but everybody kind of a lot of them got kind of a, a shot at doing the vampire thing but anyway um so uh jeff try uh, get finds this old crossbow he tries to talk get maggie out of there and willie under the vampire's thrall against his will you know bashes jeff over the head because willie can't resist that's a terrific shot by the way it it's, it's yeah. done as a mirror gag like you mm -hmm. see it yeah. you see it as a reflection in the mirror and uh again just you know, more great camera work by, you know, uh, Curtis and the crew. Yeah. yeah. And then there are these beautiful shots of um, Willie leading Maggie down the staircase and these sort of transposed images of uh, the close up and the, and the uh, long shot. And it's beautifully shot. It looks. It is incredible. beautifully shot. Yeah. And that just juxtaposition of sort of medium shots and close ups and, mm -hmm. and wides throughout that sequence is just really um effective and haunting and you know you just really understand the the tension and the stakes of the situation yeah this is was that was that an, an intentional pun with the stakes <laughs> yeah no 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 no, no. here we are yes but, there's too much for i'm sorry i i, I usually have more foreign in me in the morning than i do right now but see, well, you see it's in your soul it just came, yes, came right up even without thinking about it i love it um absolutely uh, and of course, House of just side note, House of Dark Shadows was, of course, on the cover, made the cover of Famous Monsters of Filmland. Dark Shadows made the cover of, of classic Famous Monsters of Filmland four times, two times for the TV show with one of beautiful Basil Gogo's covers, which I remember when I was a kid. Gorgeous. My uncle gave me that. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. And then House and Night of Dark Shadows both got covers for Famous Monsters. When you, when you, opened, up, when you opened up the ads for Famous Monsters... Mm -hmm. They used to have these posters yeah. that you could get. One of them was for Barnabas Collins. I like have it. A, the giant. Ooh, yeah, I have it. It's in the other room. For that. The Warren you know? poster. And, yeah. and um, that's that's how big of a part Dark mm -hmm. Shadows, uh, how big of an impression Dark Shadows had made upon the monster culture. For sure. I mean, point. Fari Ackerman was a huge fan of the show. And so was... Um, uh fritz lang uh fritz lang after i recorded with don he told the story about how fritz lang would go to the acker mansion and i've heard this story before uh would go to the acker mansion to watch dark he'd watch it there and lock himself and did not want anybody to bother him while he was watching really dark cool. shadows and he'd wow. go to the seed went to the studio a couple of times because of course he'd worked with john bennett uh famously you know and in, wow. in, in the golden age of hollywood he did so he did films with really joan bennett is not in the street. picture very long but she let she lends a lot of old hollywood mm. golden era celebrity oh. cred to not just to the series but oh, yeah. to this picture as well just for sure you know yeah classy big time yeah yeah um so we uh, you know jeff barnabas is gonna you know uh turn maggie into a vampire jeff shows up and willie and when I first saw this when I was a kid, I thought that Willie was trying to, because he was on, in Barnabas' thrall, I thought he was trying to protect Barnabas against his will. Like, like if anybody tries to harm Barnabas, he was doing the, he's the uh, Renfield, you know, he's trying to protect yeah. Barnabas. But it actually, I think he actually is trying to pull Barnabas off Maggie Evans as I've watched it over the years. I'm like, oh, he's because 
he I don't right. think you he's, can see he's Jeff doing this. from where he's he is. He's not doing he's not doing yeah. that. Those yeah. are two different things. He's trying to pull Barnabas off of Maggie, Correct. which in an act of final, you know, asserts his own will and, and tries to pull. But of course, bad timing, uh ultimate bad timing. The crossbow bolt hits Willie instead of Barnabas, and Barnabas throws Willie off in this great kind of slow motion scene and looks up and sees Jeff Clark. And I love, I know some people don't like this scene because they think it's too overboard, but I love it when Barnabas points to Jeff and goes, Clark, and you hear that Dracula echo. Stuff. How can you not like that? Oh, you know? it's oh my awesome. God. I love it. Yeah. I know it's, the echo is can can be kind of hard to understand what That um, was the filmmaking at saying. that point, though. That, that mm. was to use echoes to sort of... Um, accentuate rather to than accentuate overstate. and indicate uh, that he's something. putting him in his power this I mean, is he's like a vampire. Yes, he can, yeah come he's here. a vampire yeah you know? yes and it, absolutely i love and that it's great me too it's very yes. cool and it's and it sets up in my opinion the most significant moment of the picture and you know um willie in a an unhealthy and unhealthy <laughs> way has sort of always in the in the story, procla proclaimed his love for Maggie Evans, mm -hmm. and essentially he saves her life at this point. Yeah, he does. You know? yeah, yeah, because uh, Jeff drops the the crossbow. He's in. He Barnum's drops power. the crossbow ball, if you will. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he does. He but does. Willie picks it up, and from behind, as Barnabas is about to complete the bite, he drives the crossbow bolt through Barnabas's chest. And then falls to the ground. That was his last act of heroin. And then Jeff Clark finishes the job. Finishes I, the deal. Really? I mean, it's, I think my it's, friend. Yeah. It's pretty graphic. It is. My friend, time. my friend, uh, Ricardo, was on, he was like, that's one of the most legit stakings I've ever seen. I must agree. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's, you know, uh, you. I've seen quite a few of them and they actually go the other way around, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, but this one is quite graphic and quite believable. I, I don't know if. If Dick Smith was involved in that, um, but holy smokes, you buy that completely. It was it was gruesome and really gruesome is violent and intense. Um, and I know um, <laughs> Roger Davis tells the story that Jonathan Frid was was pretty ticked off at him because I guess Dan Curtis took Roger Davis aside privately and said, "When you stake him, really like." Lift him, lift him off the ground try to lift and he did you know uh, roger davis really went rammed it into him and frid i think he hurt his back he had hurt his back and on the show in like 68 during one of the scenes with adam so i think he had a back back and uh he was he was pretty ticked off at, which i understand that like dan curtis should have told jonathan like he should have had everybody together on the same page, like how this is going to work kind of thing. Communication um, is a healthy thing. Yes. <laughs> but yes. it looked great. I mean, it looks great. And result is, that. It looks just great. like, you know, um, if you watch uh, the making of the exorcist, uh, Bill Friedkin wasn't exactly forthcoming with the entire <laughs> cast in terms of some, sometimes their, their reactions and the sound effects, the sounds yeah. that he would use on sets to get the reaction. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it really, it really works here. It's completely gruesome, as you say, and um, just kind of the stuff you hadn't really seen before. The saturation of the blood as well. It's just, yeah. it's, it's just, you know, that that's kind of uh, the, um, the fatal blow. Yeah. Well, and or what we think is a fatal blow. And that level of, see, to me, that level of like that hammer level or house of dark shadows level of gore is about my limit like i don't think it's extreme like some of these 
horror movies in the last i don't know i never got into like extreme gore film i that turns me off i would have uh, no I, interest in that i'm not a big chainsaw mass texas yeah. chainsaw massacre guy like that's yeah. you know yeah. even like uh i'm i'm all about the supernatural same same here stuff. i mean even mm-hmm. like i i just posted about the uh, night of the living dead uh remake that's a that's even a little further than mm-hmm. I would go. You know, I remember mm-hmm. being quite horrified at the climax of the original mm-hmm. Night of the Living Dead. And that's mm-hmm. pretty with the little girl. And, oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm more of a, you know, supernatural horror kind of guy. I'm not really big on um, the mm-hmm. slasher stuff. I mean, oh, there's me too. films that are that. really well made and the psychos. Uh, oh, that's Hitchcock great. Psycho. I that's mean, amazing. That's a class yeah. unto itself. And I mm-hmm. understand that. But, you know, um, the, yeah, I'm more of a vampire and werewolf guy. Let's put it that right. way. Right. Yeah. Agreed. I, I, I think, I mean, on the other hand, you see people like, oh, it's too, you shouldn't have any of that. And it's like, well, you're dealing with monsters. You're dealing with, with the undead, you know, so there has to be some of that. It is part of what terror and horror kind of it's it's there's a balancing act but at some there's point a reason, there's reason yeah i mean texas chainsaw massacre was based on natural yeah. events and that's ha- like okay mm-hmm. you know cool you know but not my not my bag i can't watch that and it's funny i was having a conversation with this about this with my friend rebecca who is a huge texas chainsaw massacre fan and it's not super gory Look, and, and it's it, just uh, it's well made it's it, I, I agree can't argue with the filmmaking said the like, same that's thing that's a terrific picture on that level certainly you know he went on and made salem's Mm. lot and poltergeist which are really two really great films in the genre but i prefer those two films too yeah my same same i mean my thing is it's just to me i agree with you i told her the same thing i said i can see why this is a has a cult following and why it's a, a very famous film but it's to me it's just depressing it's like you said it's based on real life events but it's also there's a there's this is a this could happen and in fact is based on things that happened feeling to it that just it doesn't heighten my senses in a way that something like house of dark shadows or or the tv show does or any kind of classic horror where it's like what's hidden in the shadows yes you're going to see that splash of blood but it's really more that supernatural aura that surrounds it versus this this is just kind of makes me feel sad when i watch it and down i don't want to feel that way when i watch a movie i want to feel like good about it like this this was a fun there, carnival there is, ride kind of right feeling. there's like a love there that i had mm-hmm. for the universal monster films there's mm-hmm. a love there that i had for ray bradbury's you know works and you know yeah. there's a charm to halloween that's kind of based yeah. on a childhood love of things that are interesting and different you know and yeah that's what that's what monsters are and i i really enjoy that and i i i i feel like a lot of the horror stuff the slasher stuff i guess is what i'll label it is just it just seems too on the money yeah totally totally now last thing for this film of course this is we have so jeff takes maggie away he has saved the day or williams and so we see that this creepy end credit scene where the barnabas is lying it's awesome it's so good with the fog, yeah. the mist just slowly enshrouds him and you hear the music playing and the credits just start rolling like this is the end of the film. Now, nowadays, we're so used to 
things like the Marvel movies and, and stuff having these post-credit scenes. Correct. This is an early example of a post-credit scene. Um, and I, 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 I feel bad for those who just walked out of the theater when this was playing. I I, it, was, it wasn't the first post-credit scene. There was one, I think it was a 19, it was a 1966 movie with Dean Martin, but I can't remember the title of the film, but I believe okay. that was the first kind of official in cinema post-credit scene. I believe I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it is. But House of Dark Shadows was only four years later. And mm. as the credits come to an end, the music builds to one of the, uh, when I had Ben Alba on here, it was like sort of the ultimate horror sting on the Dark Shadows TV show, which dun 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 and it did that and you see all of a sudden you see barnabas's body disappear and transform into a bat and fly off and it's like well barnabas survived maybe i my thing when i will first watch this when i was a kid I was like the stake must have missed his heart and maybe it just like grazed his heart or like maybe it didn't fully penetrate his heart and went like on the side of his heart like i was trying to figure out right. like how did he survive that mega staking that he just happened so it must have it must have like grazed his heart maybe and missed it. I don't know, what's your, what's your theory on that? I've my my theory other... on that is that it must've just missed the, the main valve, if you will. Mm -hmm. And also I, I saw it as like, Hey, we're, we're pretty confident that we're going to make more of these yeah. and uh, we're setting up a, a sequel. Yes. And uh, I, I guess you could look at it that the sequel was to keep watching the TV show, but it would have been great to see a couple of more um, mm -hmm. films with um, with Mr. Fred as as the as the vampire of uh, Collinsport. That, and that, that was the plan. Been, yeah. I, I, and I, I'm sorry that that didn't happen. Perhaps it was like, I don't know if it contractually, um, Mr. Fred had only signed for one picture. Uh, kind of like George Lazenby with the James Bond films where they mm -hmm. made the mistake of only signing uh, him for one film, which, yeah. you know come on sign, <laughs> if you sign somebody now that's standard practice right you sign for the main picture and any subsequent sequels but yeah it, it would have been cool to see more of these honestly yeah and uh it's it's that it's exactly what uh what happened was that um the plan was well, the house of dark shadows was a big hit for mgm it did very well um it was a big hit um and dan curtis became you know addicted to making film like he wanted to make movies now so they already had or started working on a sequel in 1970 they were working on the sequel sam hall wrote the script. script or it, it might have just been a treatment for the film i know there was some preliminary work that was done on it i don't know if he wrote a full script or an initial draft ansel farage or darren gross would probably have more specific information about that uh, but regardless that that whatever sam wrote no longer exists nobody has seen it as far as I'm aware. And it was going to feature Barnabas Collins in a sequel. And I, from what I understood, the little I've heard, I think Ansel Farage posted something about it, that the little that they know, they believe it was going to be a flashback to the past. Like, Ooh. I don't know. If, and probably, I assume it was going to be the curse, like Angelique putting the curse. Right. I, I'm guessing it was going to be something like that. I, I don't know, but that nobody know. They asked Sam, people have asked Sam Hall over, had asked him over the years and he couldn't even remember. They were going to make the the sequel with Frid. It was originally titled Curse of Dark Shadows. And then Jonathan Frid was not happy with House of Dark Shadows. In fact, during the, uh, while it was, in the, while he was promoting it, he actually kind of made some 
comments that were not positive about the film. Oh, he didn't no. he, he didn't care okay. for the for the tone of it. Like I said, he was Jonathan Frid was a really classy guy. You know, he wanted he very liked, genteel. It seems yeah, he liked the subtlety of how he was playing uh, doing it on the TV show. So anyway, um, he decided he didn't want to be typecast as a vampire, and he ultimately said i i don't want to do the sequel i mean and, that's too bad i think mr curtis uh, i mm -hmm. wish that they could have gone to jonathan and say well maybe we can make this this story a little bit more you know to your liking i agree know? if they could have sat down with, i think maybe if they had sat let's down with it him out, and said let's know, collaborate let's, let's make yeah. this work because I mean, let's face it, people want to see Barnabas Collins, you know, they want to see the vampire or, you know, that he was sort of the, he's the show, if you he, will. He's a big, the huge draw. And I love uh, Quentin and Angelique, too. But it's kind of like you almost kind of need to have the Barnabas component, too. But right. anyway, uh, Dan Curtis was furious uh, that Jonathan didn't want to do the sequel. So, um, OK, yeah, it really so. does parallel the Lazenby James Bond. Mm -hmm producer thing where mm -hmm. everyone got kind of mad at each other and yeah, just split yeah. up that's too bad yeah and um it was close to the to the end of this year so anyway they they were, it was near near the end of the series i think when yeah around december 1970 uh and then the series ended like three months later april 1971 four months later so um but anyway um they rewrote they had to rewrite the script and did night of dark shadows instead which focused on uh quentin and um uh kate jackson's character tracy she's called tracy in the film and mm. uh angelique um so it was a, a totally different story which got butchered by um by uh mgm wanted curtis to edit the film down the original night of dark shadows was significantly longer i think 40 oh. 45 minutes longer night of dark shadows really oh yeah it was a much longer film with a lot of key scenes that were chopped out of the film because mgm wanted the movie to be an hour and a half long and they told curtis if you don't cut these scenes we'll out we it. will do it and so kurt yeah. last with well, a last minute it was a, sadly, it was kind of a hack job. They had to like really, ha I mean, literally hack out segments of the film that were key to the it, plot. That's, not a, that's never a good situation yeah. where the filmmaker mm -hmm. makes a film that's this long and suddenly yeah. the studio's like, I mean, that's, again, communication is a good thing. Yeah. And, you know, um, when mm -hmm. stuff like that has happened, it's when, um, yeah, um, there just isn't good communication between mm. the filmmakers and the studio. And that's, that's really too bad because that ideally, you know, you could have had a parallel situation where the, the TV show kind of continues and yet you still have uh, mm -hmm. these movies being made and it would have been terrific to have explored sort of earlier timelines, perhaps yeah. more genteel Jonathan Fred friendly stories that, you know, could have, um, I don't know, it would have been nice to get Fred and, um, yeah. everybody in a room together and hash this out you know yeah because oh, uh, for sure this is terrific stuff terrific i agree stuff. agreed yeah. agreed uh and i i, I still i'm gonna when i have darren gross on I, hopefully he will agree to do the show uh, i'd love to chat with him i want to talk about all those things that he has found that he found all of the missing scenes from night of dark shadows and has restored the film with help from people like ansel farage he got re-recorded actors voices parts of the audio were missing oh, wow. okay. i'd love to see the full night of dark shadows of course uh for sure but uh it's i still love night of dark shadows too but anyway um great discussion uh on this uh on this film here ricardo uh any closing thoughts on house of dark shadows or just dark shadows or monster culture in general yeah i think that uh within the whole 
lexicon of dark shadows that house of dark shadows has in my opinion uh, this significant niche that uh, went explored and unfortunately uh, was not explored any further and i mm. i understand that you know there are those that uh, may not look fondly at this but uh at this picture but uh, i really enjoyed it i i continue to enjoy the series uh i most certainly feel like it's um a significant uh story that has a great pedigree and uh i encourage those of you out there that have not seen this picture to, to watch it you know with an open mind like it's you know it's it's okay to like both you know mm. and um um you should enjoy it for what it is kind of like uh derek interviewed me about the spanish language version of of yeah. the 31 dracula and um there are those that like one or the other and i i don't feel that way i i enjoy both of those films and i i enjoy um both this picture and the and the series and i encourage uh everyone out there to to look at this stuff with an open mind and just enjoy like this is like an, an added extra this is like a two-hour you know, um, Blu-ray extra that you could sit there and watch and 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 just take in. A lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, I agreed. Uh, look, look at it as a, as just a, a parallel dimension where events unfolded in a different way. Uh, you know, this is is not affect, doesn't affect the events of the TV show. It's, it's right. I, I could get I get it if you're a fan of the TV show and you rolled in expecting to see. Okay, well, I haven't seen the trailers, but I'm a Dark Shadows fan. Let's see what's going on. You might be shocked oh, yeah. at some of the events that that happen here. I get that, but you know, let's let's say it's been you know 50 years, <laughs> and so we can sort of look at it, you know, in in a uh, broader light and and just and just enjoy it. There's really cool stuff in this. It's in cool. This film. Yes, it is really cool. enjoyable. Really and, enjoyable. And uh, just. To remind everyone, speaking of enjoyable and uh, and worth checking out, uh, Dracula of Transylvania, uh, which in the video version I am holding up on camera. If you go to YouTube, you can watch the video version of this episode uh, and the upcoming art of Dracula of Transylvania, for which I will put a Kickstarter link in the show notes when this episode is posted. Um, Ricardo, thank you again for uh, taking the time out of your very busy schedule. I know you're a super busy guy, but I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today about Sombras Tenebrosas or Casa de Sombras Tenebrosas. There you go, Casa de Sombras Tenebrosas. Yeah. And, uh, it was my pleasure. Um, glad to do it. Always happy to talk. Um, vampires and children of the nights um it's you know part of uh uh my living and um it's a joy it was a joy to be here thank you thank you so much folks my please pleasure. be sure thank you so much and thank you for listening please be sure to uh subscribe to the podcast to keep up with the latest episodes there are a lot of fun stuff coming up uh in the coming months uh a lot of great guests too lined up so be sure to subscribe please do like the podcast rate and review the podcast uh if you have are listening on apple Podcasts, that is a great place to go and rate and review the podcast or if you're watching on youtube please subscribe to the channel and like the video that does help the podcast to grow but moreover it helps the podcast to reach more fans share if you know uh fans of 
Dark Shadows or classic horror, classic monster movies, uh, let them know about the podcast because, um, you know, we, part of this is kind of just galvanizing uh, the, the fans to kind of keep Dark Shadows uh, alive or undead, if you will, in the uh, cultural zeitgeist. So I hope that uh-huh. we'll continue to do that. And for as long as they lived, the Dark Shadows never truly vanished, for there will always be Terror at Collinwood. Terror at Collinwood is a Penny Dreadful production.